we have uh, been going through this Advent, taking a look at stories of the season. Um, it has been for us an understanding that so much impacts our understanding of, of Christmas, not only the sacred stories, but the secular ones as well. And so, so far in this Advent season, we've taken a look at um, the Grinch and King Herod. We've taken a look at Frosty the Snowman and John the Baptist. And if you haven't got a clue who we're looking at today, from the way we were dressed as we came in, I don't know how to help you. But um, today we'll be taking a look at Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and his connection to the shepherds and the story of Christ's birth that comes to us through both of those stories. As um, I do that, I invite um, Cody to come forward now and read to us from Luke 2, and then you'll receive a special bell anthem. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a magnitude of the manger, or a multitude of the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel... Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told of them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Thank you, choir. I, uh, I want to tell you that as I'm sitting there watching you and listening to you, I, I was thinking back many months ago when I thought about this series, this was not something I thought would be possible. This is amazing. What a gift you give to us. Thank you so much. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Good and gracious and loving God, it is through all the ways in which we put before you the possibility will joy come into us this season. We go places and hear songs and have special foods at unique parties wearing bizarre, weird outfits, and it all seems natural because it's Christmas. Sometimes those moments bring to us joy, and sometimes we find it lacking still. We pray at this time of worship and reflection will put us open to you in a way so that your spirit will break through whatever is keeping us from Christmas, whatever is keeping us from receiving the Christ child. This is our prayer in the name of the one who indeed came, Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, Christmas can surprise you. It can happen in an instant and sometimes in a moment when you don't expect it to happen. Uh, This last week, uh, Laura and I were informed that uh, this Christmas we will have two daughters, two son-in-laws, and four grandchildren at our house. We didn't know that before this past week, Um, and so that has changed our expectations of Christmas somewhat. uh, whatever quiet season we thought it was going to be, it's going to be wonderful and insane and, and a true blessing. Christmas can surprise you. It can come in ways in which you do not expect it to come. But there's also this truth that there are some seasons in which it seems it will never come. There are seasons where we believe that we really are outside of Christmas for that year that we're not going to really experience it, be present to it, and it's sure not going to arrive at our house or in our heart or in our lives. There are places in this world today where it seems the opportunity for Christmas to happen are extremely limited. Places of war and poverty and injustice. Places where people are hurting so badly, survival is their goal, not celebration. Each one of us, I'm going to assume, have those Christmases in our own memories that we remember as being the special ones, the wonderful ones, but we also, I'm going to assume, have those Christmases that were not wonderful, that were perhaps even painful to listen to all of the joy being celebrated around us and none of it seeping into our own lives or hearts. I'm guessing that's probably why the Christmas story was written the way that it was written. I'm guessing that's why Jesus chose to come in the way in which he came. Because if we read the Christmas story, we discover fairly quickly, it's pretty obvious, it doesn't take an awful lot of depth to understand that Christmas came to the very least likely place, to the very least likely people to ever be expected to receive it and the least likely way. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. In that region, you know, over there, beyond us, away from, 
The shepherds were out in that region. They weren't in the center of anything. They were on the outside of anything that would be called a holy night. Their work and their lifestyle kept them from being welcomed into social settings, let alone places of faith. They were an important part of society, but undervalued, underappreciated, and kept in another region. Like immigrant workers and undocumented men and women, children today, they were suspect at best by those who were welcome to have them do the work that no one else was willing to do. They could live in the fields, that's fine. They could protect the sheep, no problem, but to be inside where we all are, not so much. Shepherds, like all who are left on the outside, came to expect to stay out in that region. They began to take a certain pride in the fact that they were not a part of those who were on the inside, except for the fact they were never welcomed or had opportunities that others had. For them, their expectation of life was that they would be the best shepherd they could be so that their children could be the best shepherds they could be so the next generation could be the best shepherds they could be. There's no place for dreaming, for expectation, if you're left out in that region. Which is why it was such a shock that on a quiet night, Christmas came to them, and not subtly. There was no flyer on the drugstore, a billboard that they saw as they were coming in and out. They were out in the hinterlands, out in that region, and Jesus decided to come on the night, and God decided to reveal it to them with nothing less than a full angel choir. Nothing subtle about this arrival of Jesus to the shepherds. It broke in on them in a way in which they did not deserve it, even in their own thought. It came to them without any ounce of their trying to prepare for it. And yet it came, and they were invited to come and see this child who was born. An angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace with whom all he favors. And tonight that means you too. No one had ever said to the shepherds, I favor you. Christmas was for them. Christmas was given to them intentionally, even though they did nothing to make it happen, though they did not expect it or believe it. Unto them it happened. And because it's true in that story, it's a part of the Christmas message. Christmas will continue to come to those who do not expect it, who've done nothing to prepare for it, and maybe have even been led to believe they don't deserve it. Christmas comes. Emmanuel, God is with us, with us. And even with all of the thems who are out in a region, whether they're in this room or not. When I was a little boy, I began to watch the cartoon called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. How many of you have seen it? I thought maybe. It was first broadcast in 1964. So whatever age you were in 1964, that's when you first had the chance to see it. You do the math. 
But the story was written in 1939. It was written by Robert May, who at that time was a copywriter for Montgomery Ward. Do you remember Montgomery Ward stores? Yes. We used to go into Flint to the Montgomery Ward store. We were big time. Back in those days, Montgomery Ward, uh, for a few years before that, had been um, putting out little children's booklets to the shoppers who would come to their stores. It was a gimmick. It was a come on. And they got the idea, maybe we ought to just print our own, make our own. And so they asked Robert May, who had some experience in writing some children's literature and limericks, to come up with a story that they could use. So Robert sat down back in the early spring of 1939 to try to write a Christmas story. He was wise enough to turn to the expert in his family, his four-year-old daughter, Barbara. He would write some lines, and he would read them to Barbara and see her reaction. And if she liked them, she kept them. He kept them. And it's in that way that he wrote the first story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. How many of you have actually read the story? So you know what I'm about to tell you, which is the fact the story is not the same as the cartoon. The cartoon has been selling you a bill of goods all these years. <laughs> Rudolph did not live with Santa and Santa's reindeer herd. Rudolph lived in another reindeer village somewhere else with his mom and dad. Rudolph, like Robert May, had a childhood where he often felt made fun of and neglected and left off to the side of the playground. Rudolph went to bed Christmas night without any expectation. But on that Christmas night, it was a horrible, horrible, horrible weather storm. Santa actually crashed the sled at least four times before he got to Rudolph. They don't tell you that in the cartoon, do they? That's going to ruin Santa's image. We don't want to do that. Santa finally got himself down um, Rudolph's family's house to deliver presents. And while he's delivering presents, he's stumbling around in the pitch black and falling around and even tore his pants. And all of a sudden, he sees this light glowing from underneath a door. Santa opens up the door. Now, I want you to get the image of this. A jolly fat elf with a beard is crawling around your house and opening up your bedroom door if he sees a light underneath it. How's your Christmas going so far? (laughs) He opens the door and he sees Rudolph asleep in his own bed. And he wakes Rudolph up out of a sound sleep. Can you imagine such a thing? And Santa asked Rudolph if he wouldn't perhaps be willing to help guide his sleigh through the night. And Rudy says, I'll be glad to do that, but first let me write a message to my mom and dad and tell them where I'm going. (laughs) Santa agrees to this. Very suspect arrangement in my mind. And Rudolph takes off. 
And he does guide the sleigh through the night. And it's not till the next morning when Rudy's parents and others gathered around with grave concern see Rudolph arrive back after safely having completed his journey. And, of course, here the story picks up the one you and I most know. Everybody celebrated Rudy. They were so happy for what he had been able to do, and it gave him purpose, and that was what he was going to do the rest into perpetual eternity, was to guide Rudolph's sleigh, or I mean, Santa's sleigh. That's the book. Even in a child story, Christmas comes to the one who's not expecting it. The other part of the story you may want to know is that Robert May, as he's writing this story, was caring for his wife, who was battling cancer. And she died in the summer of 1939 as he's writing this book. And as he turns in the copy to Montgomery Ward, because of the disease and the treatment and being in 1939, his family was left financially destitute. Of course, the story was work product. And so Montgomery Ward made a nice profit off of this book. And it was in 1946, and if I got that year wrong, it's off by a year or two. Finally, Robert May came back to Montgomery Ward spoke to the president in charge of such matters and asked if he might possibly be able to get the rights back to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And do you believe it or not, he said yes. You think that would happen today? Suspect of the industry much, are you out there? He received the rights to the story and the image of Rudolph and long story made short. It was what allowed his family to be financially secure for the rest of their life. Why do I tell you that story? I don't know, except to say that somehow the power of this story was able to change a family's life and somehow affect the heart of a corporation who decided they would put the care and well-being of an employee over their profit margin. You figure out what to do with that, but that seems like a Christmas miracle to me, Amen. So here's what I want to tell you today. We look at these stories. We listen to them. We see the cartoons. And I can tell you that all my life I've never thought about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer as having much to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's where I've come down to this. Christmas comes to the least likely. Came to shepherds who did not deserve to be in the story, had done nothing to prepare for the birth of Christ, and yet it came to them. Rudolph was the least likely of the reindeer to be selected as best of the best, and yet, because of his uniqueness, deformity, he moved from being one made fun of by his reindeer friends to being the lead on the most important sleigh ever known to humanity. You see, it's as simple as this connection. It 
So black that it made every step a dark mystery, and then came the greatest idea in all history. He went back to Rudolph and started to shake him, of course very gently, in order to wake him. And Rudolph could hardly believe his own eyes. You can imagine his joy and surprise at seeing who stood there a pause length away and told of the darkness and fog and delay, and said his great worry that children might waken before his complete trip had been taken. And you, he told Rudolph, may yet save the day. Your bright, shining nose, son, can show us the way. I need you, young fellow, to help me tonight, to lead all my dear on the rest of our flight. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for unto you is born this day in the town of David a Savior, who will be Christ the King. If you have not yet experienced Christmas, if you really can't even get your energy up to think about it or get ready for it, if there's pain or hurt or fear in your heart, if there's something that keeps you away from being able to experience all the joy of the season, then let me give you this message, not from me, but from the stories. Christmas will come to you. In fact, it already has come. You are included all of you here and all out in whatever region you may be thinking about. Christmas, its power, its salvation, its love, its hope is the gift that even if you're not ready for it, is yours. To the glory of God and in the name of the one who gives it to all Amen.